I wonder if you realize what we were just declaring. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He raises us up from our defeats, sometimes where nothing's left but ashes. He raises us up from our brokenness, from our failures and mistakes, because the same God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you today, in this house, right now, in this moment. He lives in you. He is not only in you, but he is among us. Something is very hard for us to fully grasp. He comes in a special way when his people come together and declare that his name is victory. He just loves it when we do that. And he shows up among us in a unique presence that changes us from the inside out. And if you don't mind, I want you to do something with me this morning. If you just hold your hands out in a receiving posture and pray with me the most important prayer I pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we invite you through your Holy Spirit to breathe new life, fresh joy, complete healing, absolute restoration to our hearts today. May you, through your word and your presence, do in us what we can't find it possible to do. Be filled with your spirit. Fill us full and running over in this house this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can be seated. Thanks, worship team. That was Pastor Jeff called me just before summer and told me where he felt the Lord was leading him for this summer and this series on the Holy Spirit. And he said, I want you to want you to be involved a couple of weeks in that. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, Holy Spirit's my jam. That's where I'm at. And, and part of the reason for that is I was raised in a Pentecostal preacher's home. Now, you may not know what that is, but I will tell you this. It has nothing to do with snakes. OK. But I was raised in a Pentecostal and charismatic tradition that valued Holy Spirit primarily because of his power. So we used to pray for things like people to be healed, people to be filled with life, people to be delivered. And then as I grew up, I got over here and got connected with Faith Fellowship, which has this wonderful tradition of the Holy Spirit building life and character within us. And we talk a lot about the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the character of Jesus being reflected. So as I grew in my life, I got connected, it was really a privilege of mine to get connected with pastors from all sorts of traditions. And uh, Pastor Wally, Father Wally over here, he, he introduced me to things that I'd never heard of before, things called liturgy. And, and I, I thought that's what dead churches did. And then I found out, no, it wasn't that at all. And he taught me a whole new element of Holy Spirit's presence in the historicity of the church. So as I've grown up, I haven't left what I believed, but I've been, I've been enriched and added to so that my understanding and appreciation of Holy Spirit has grown dramatically in who he is and what he's done. I have a very good friend that has this wonderful picture of Holy Spirit it's based on when Jesus was baptized by John in the water. And it said that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. He descended on him and remained. 
And he asked this question. He says, how would you walk if you have a dove on your shoulder and you don't want to scare him away? And I've come to appreciate Holy Spirit's presence so much in the personal aspect of living daily life and in the corporate aspect of his manifest presence among his people. And I think sometimes, honestly, Holy Spirit's been, he's been treated like the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity. Like there's Father, there's Son, and there's Holy Spirit. And the reality is this, guys. We can't know anything about the Father. We cannot relate to the Son without Holy Spirit. He is the agency of God in the earth. It's how we know God is by His Spirit. So I was so excited when Pastor Jeff led us into this. And I love the fact that he talked to us about the stranger uh, in the room that we sometimes don't know and, and who he is and why he came. And then last week about this baptism of the Holy Spirit, where just like being immersed in water, we become immersed in the spirit of life. But he asked me to talk about something that for me is, is it's the bridge of all these pieces that I've learned about Holy Spirit in my life. The fullness, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to explore that together. I want you to turn, if you don't mind, in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to begin at verse 15. I'm going to ask you to stand because we do love to honor the word here at Faith Fellowship. And this is a short passage, but boy, is it good. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we welcome your life and your presence, the very breath of God into our spirits in this house, in us and among us today. Lord, I pray that anyone here who's never sensed the wonderful closeness of Holy Spirit would this morning, even in this room. But God, more than anything, breathe life on your word so that we can be set afire in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. The prophet in the Old Testament named Jeremiah could very easily be mistaken for a social critic of the modern age. If you read his book, it's like reading a running commentary on the ills of our disintegrated society. I went back and looked through it this this last week, and here are some of the subjects Jeremiah talks about. Social injustice, spiritual apathy, political corruption, idolatrous obsessions, moral impurity, and even biological pandemic. 
Sound familiar? And the thing is, Jeremiah spent 40 years teaching the people what was wrong, what was broken, and how to fix it. But he had very, very little tangible success. In fact, if you look at the moments that he had where he was, he was positively prophetic, gave promises from God, they're few and far between because the overarching theme of Jeremiah was, was pain. He stood tall, but he stood totally alone. It's no wonder that later on he was called the weeping prophet and that he wrote a book that we dubbed Lamentations, Song of Sorrows. You see, Jeremiah was a seer, and what he saw broke his heart. It's interesting because while he did have a few prophetic words, you know, and pictures for the nations around Israel, the majority of his focus was toward the people of God. When he cried, he wept over the people of God. When he prophesied, he prophesied primarily to the people of God. Early on in his ministry, God gave him the theme of what he would talk about for those 40 years. It's in Jeremiah chapter 2. And it's God's synoptic diagnosis of what was broken among his people. I want you to listen to it with me. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates that in the message. My people have committed a compound sin. They've walked out on me, the fountain of fresh flowing waters, and then dug cisterns, cisterns that leak, cisterns that are no better than sieves. Notice the difference. God is pictured as this flood of life where out of him flows this river of goodness and grace and mercy and love and power. And he's unlimited in the scope of his kindness toward man. But the people of God forsook that to dig their own well and fill those wells with stagnant water of their own making. And that's what Jeremiah had to preach about for 40 years. His big disappointment was this. God is source-focused. In other words, God has always desired to be in and among His people in such a way that our obedience comes from a living connection to His presence and His life. He has never wanted mindless following. You know what I mean by that? That's that insipid, robotic, uninspired, automated obedience. That's never been his heart. His heart has always been to be so real, so palpable, so tangible among his people that our obedience rises from a connection of love to him that he inspires us to want to do life like he wants us to do life. Let me show you a little bit of the Old Testament in this. This, this is just in the Psalms. Psalm 46.4. 4. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the place where the Most High dwells. Psalm 36. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them, listen to this, to drink from the river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Psalm 87. I love this passage. This passage describes when when the people of Israel, the nation of Israel is restored. Listen to how it's worded. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her and the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing all Our fountains are in you. You getting a theme here? God pictures himself as a river. Isaiah has a beautiful picture. He he talks about us being, seeing streams in the desert and rivers in the valleys. I I was in Israel. I'm I'm sure Pastor Jeff, Pastor Ann have seen this. I was in Israel and we were going to Masada one day. It was a bright, sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. We got out on the, on the main road that's out in the desert going toward Masada and there was quite literally a river running across the road to where we couldn't pass through. And finally the bus driver just told our tour guide, you can't go there. It's just, we can't pass through this river. And I, I asked our tour guide, I said, man, what's going on? It's, there's not a drop of rain in the sky. There's not a cloud. He goes, it's raining in Jerusalem. So it creates rivers in the desert. And I remembered Isaiah's prophecy. I will pour out water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Now I want you to get this connection. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Here's where the connection happens for us. God is this river of life. Out of him rush torrents of goodness and grace and mercy and power and righteousness. And it pours and floods over his people in the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pour streams in the desert by pouring out my spirit on my people. When it rains in Jerusalem, there are rivers in the desert. You see, God's life is intended to be living. It's an experiential reality. I'm not, I'm not saying an emotional reality, although, and I'm one of those guys, feelers like me, we, we get touched quite easily by the presence of God and, and our emotions, but it's more than that. It's an experiential reality of a river of God running in our lives so that our lives literally pour out the life of God to those around us. How do we know this? Because when the people of Israel didn't get the message, God said, let me show you another way. And he put all of that river and all of that life into a person. And his name is Jesus. And he set that person down in the earth and he said, this 
is what I'm talking about. And Jesus lived his entire life in the outflow of the life of the Holy Spirit. Now, now I want to I say something to you because I think it's important we remember this. There are many people that believe Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and he was filled with the Spirit at the baptism of John and then for the next three years he did his ministry. But the dove that descended that day was not for him. It was for the people around to see a visible representation of what had been in him since he was created in the womb. The fullness of the presence of God. You see, for 30 years, Jesus grew up in and then took over the family business. He was a carpenter. For three years, he was a rabbi. Ten times as much of his life was spent in a carpenter shop making wood items for homes, carving out stones for houses. Ten times as much time as he spent three years as a rabbi. What's the point? Holy Spirit was just as alive in him when he was up to his neck in sawdust as it was when he was up to his neck in that river with John. Holy Spirit filled him and he walked through the entirety of his life. In fact, Zechariah said this of him when he prophesied about Jesus. He would be the fountain opened in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. Jesus was a living river constantly flowing out with the life of God. But here's the part that's incredible to me. That was not really God's dream. That was given to us so that we would see what God's dream looked like when it was lived out. God's dream was that you and I would be fountains flowing in the house of David to the world around us. We are to carry living rivers inside of us. Jesus talked about it all the time to his followers. One of my favorite passages of scriptures in John chapter uh, 4. And it's when Jesus is at a Samaritan well with a woman that's had a really hard life and not done well with it. And he sits down to talk with her and he says, hey, would you get me a drink from the well? And she's like, I shouldn't even be talking to you. You and I have no connection. And Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? That's about as dumb a question as you'll ever ask Jesus right there. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst again. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water. John chapter 7. Jesus is attending the great feast. And he's watching all the beautiful liturgical things that they do to represent the work of God among them. And as someone stands and pours a giant urn of water, it's like Jesus can't 
take it anymore. And on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John interprets it, and here's that connection from Isaiah. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who were with him would would receive. They had not received the Spirit because Jesus had not yet been glorified. That same John, visioning the end of all things in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, he hears the exalted, triumphant Jesus say this, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. It is my argument this morning that when the Apostle Paul said the words that I read to you in our text, Be filled with the Spirit. It was the logical outworking of everything taught about the nature of God in the Old Testament that was summed up in the person of Jesus in the New Testament. It was the natural, logical experience of the flow of the Spirit to command the followers of Jesus to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus had promised it. I will ask the Spirit, he said to John, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. See, the apostle literally commands us to be filled with the Spirit. In the original language, that's in the imperative, which means it's a demand. Be filled with the Spirit. And it's in a tense that means continuous. If you want to take it literally, this is how you should translate it. Be always being filled with the Spirit. Be right now full of the Holy Spirit. Keep on being filled. With the Spirit. And it is a command of Paul's. Why could he make that command? Because the Spirit of God is always the river of life flowing from the throne of God to his people. And he wants to be in us that river of life. See, Paul believed that the presence was so present that we had been called to be carriers of that presence, conduit of God's power, channels of the very life of the Spirit of God in the context in which we live. I looked up the word filled. You can't come up with enough superlatives to sum up how full this word means. These are just a few. Filled full, to the brim, no room for more, saturated, inundated, flooded, covered over, drowning in, heap up with, cram full and packed. That's about as full as you can get. And he commands us, be continuously replenished with the life of God. In Acts chapter 13, the disciples at the church at Antioch, which was going through a really difficult time, it was said of them that they were full of joy and the Holy Spirit. And it's the same word. 
And it started making me think. And so I started looking at the book of Acts. And it's interesting. The normal way it's described in the book of Acts for a man of God to stand up and the influence of, of God was that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, stood up on the day of Pentecost. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, saw the heavens open while he was being stoned. Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, preached and entire cities were swept with revival. So it was always talking about the men of God, the women of God being full of the Holy Spirit. But the common parlance in the epistles is to be filled with the Spirit. So I leaned back at my desk and I said, am I full or am I being filled? And I discovered the answer. The answer is yes. You are full and you are being filled. Why? Well, one thing is we leak. And the other is if we are a flowing river of the life of God, we are dispensing grace throughout our daily life and we are connected to an ever-flowing river that has the capacity to expand our reception with more of the life of God so that the more of Him we give, the more of Him we receive. We are full and we are filled with the Spirit. And then Paul does this crazy thing in our text. He picks probably in the church one of the worst analogies you could make. And he makes this contrast. Don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk, be full. Don't be drunk with the things of this life, be full of the Spirit of God. Very interesting analogy. The word drunk means exactly what you think it means. Fully intoxicated or under the control of. But the best translation might be, under the influence. Don't be under the influence of wine that leads to debauchery. I love the King James Version of this. Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. It's an interesting word. Have you ever heard the word tossed around in church circles, sozo? Have you ever heard that? It's the Greek word for life. A lot of people may name their ministries, things like that, sozo. It's the Greek word for life in the, Old, in the New Testament. It's scattered throughout the New Testament. This word for excess or debauchery takes a negative article and tacks it onto the front of that word. So it means, so it's kind of like a sozo. In other words, anti-life, unlife. Do not be drunk with the things of this world that leads to unlife. That leads to the opposite of salvation. But instead, be filled with the Spirit because He brings you into real life. This contrast is, to me is really profound because of the context it's said. And he says, listen, you need to be careful in the way that you walk. And you need to make every opportunity pregnant with the kingdom of God because the days in which you live are evil. So you need to know what the will of God is. And then he says, what is the will of God? That you not be drunk with the things of this world that lead you into unlife, but that you be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Paul seems to be his favorite name for Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Sometimes we forget that. We think of, we, we dichotomize or trichotomize in this way. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We do it in such a way that we forget that they are intimately connected in a way we can't even comprehend. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So what he's commanding us to be filled with 
is the same animating life that made Jesus who he was when he walked in the earth. And then he says these three simple things, and I love these because he's kind of describing what it looks like when you're filled with the Spirit. What happens in us when we're living with the constant replenishment of the life of God in us? First of all, it creates humility. That's a tender love for people. I love this. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You see, there's, there's, a, there's a, a one-anotherness in the kingdom of God that's extremely powerful. Because this kingdom of God is not just about the presence of Jesus in me. It's the presence of Jesus in us. And he says, I want you to go around all the time singing to one another, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. These would be different kinds of melodies that interpret the things of heaven into the context of earth. Some of them are historical. Some of them are contemporary. Some of them are prophetic. But he says, I want you to sing your song in vulnerability. That's the one another part. And I got to thinking about this and I thought, you know, every one of us, Our lives are songs. Your life is a melody. Together, our lives are harmony. And when lifted to God, they become a symphony. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, your song is beautiful. Not only to the Lord, but to others. When you're full of the Holy Spirit of God, And you're humble enough to be vulnerable to sing your songs to one another. The life of God is extended face to face, person to person. Let me give you an example. If you've been through a marital crisis and God brought you through and restored your marriage. Somebody needs to hear your song. If you've been very sick and you came from a terminal illness and you got well and God's grace was, was granted to you in healing, you need to be vulnerable to, to sing that song because somebody in the body needs to hear your song. If you came through the brokenness of addiction and you got control and conquered that compulsion in your life, you need to be vulnerable enough to sing that song because there's somebody still rattling around the kingdom of God in chains. He said, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're, you're so full of his life and joy that you're humble enough to be vulnerable and your song could change somebody else's life. Diane laughed on the way home. She said, are we like literally supposed to go around singing to each other? It's like the sound of music, you know? Yeah, kinda. Because your life is a song. Somebody needs to hear your song. People talk to me a lot of times and they say, you know, what you went through in your own brokenness and failure, that's like 22 years ago. Why do you keep talking about it all the time? Because there are people in the body of Christ that are where I was and they need to hear a song of deliverance. They need to know, they need to hear the testimony that was sung about this morning. You have a song, sing it. 
sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then the second thing he said that will show when you're full of the Spirit is it will cultivate worship. That's a joyful heart toward God. I thought about this. You know that the words one another that we see so many times in the New Testament are the word that we get our word symphony from. Symphoneo. Symphony. When you and I sing to one another our testimonies, when we sing to one another our songs, no matter how many minor chords they have in them, we sing our songs to one another. They join together and they rise up in what the Revelation calls the song of the redeemed. And that is a song so powerful, it is the only time in all of eternity that heaven goes silent and the angels stop singing because they cannot match the song of the redeemed when we show up in the end of all things and we stand together and we sing together worthy is the lamb that was slain all of heaven goes silent because of the song of the redeemed so when we sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs it makes the heart of papa god so happy I'm a hacker musician. I play piano and a little bit of guitar and a little bit of bass. I have two sons that are great musicians. They don't have to play for me for me to be happy when they play. If I'm in a service and I look over in the drum cage and I see my son Caleb playing the drums or standing behind the keyboard, or if I hear my son Nathan pick up his guitar and play stuff I can't even imagine or sit at the piano. They come to my house and they just sit together, get a guitar and a piano and they just play and sing because they can't help themselves. When they do that, it doesn't matter to me who the audience is. My heart is filled with joy. So when you sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, trading your stories, trading your songs, the heavens rejoice and the Father's heart is filled with joy. He says, sing And make music in your hearts to the Lord. You know, I've often asked people, because if you've been around here, you know I sing loud no matter what. And and I've asked, I've thought about people who said, I I just don't sing in church. And and I'll ask them why. Well, I I can't sing. I don't I don't know the songs that well, and I have terrible voice. Well, I was raised in a family of singers. Everybody in my family can sing, except for one person, my mama. My mama was tone deaf. I mean, she couldn't carry a tune in a bucket if it's tied to her arm. My my daddy used to stand on one side. He had this big, booming bass voice, and I'd stand on the other side in church, and we'd sing as loud as we could. That's why I sing so loud. We sang as loud as we could because we didn't want nobody hearing this. And you know what it was? Mama didn't care if she could sing or not. She believed believed Jesus deserved her song. So she sang to him. Doesn't matter what your song sounds like. He loves to hear it. Sing, church. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. And then he wraps it up and Paul says, listen. There's one other sign. It's probably the greatest sign. That you're filled with the Spirit. And that is that it crafts gratitude 
It's the daily life of thanksgiving. He says something here that if we take it at surface value, it almost is unimaginable. He says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Now, there's another place he says, give thanks in all things. We like that one because we can say, oh, no matter what's going on, we can still praise God. But that's not what he says here. He says, always, at all times, give thanks for all things. Now, I don't know about you, that's tough for me. But part of the life of the fullness of the Spirit is this. He says, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus. You know what the recognition is? Doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. He reigns. He reigns above it all. He rules. The last word is Jesus. He says, so you can thank God all the time for everything because it's never out of control. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, it's early on, just a couple of months into it, I was in church. It was Pentecost Sunday. And at that time, it was utter chaos all around us. I mean, the economy was going to trash. People were losing their jobs left and right. People were falling ill. People were dying. It was an ugly time. And all you heard in all the world could only be described as chaos. Everywhere we looked, it was just chaos. And I was sitting in the service that morning, and I heard something deep in my spirit, in that place where you kind of know it's God. And here's what I heard. Chaos is Holy Spirit's home turf. And I thought about that. And I thought, what does that mean? And then I went back and I read Genesis, first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness covered the face of the deep. Jeff talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That context is, is, a, is a Hebrew verbiage that literally cannot be translated better than the word chaos. In fact, I went back and I looked in dictionaries and almost every definition I found of the word chaos always refers back to the primordial soup before creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep and the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the deep. And as he brooded over the face of the deep, God said, let there be light. And there was light. See, Holy Spirit is not new to the chaos game. In fact, God built it into creation so that we would know when chaos is all around you, Holy Spirit is brooding. Creation comes next. That's why, at all times, you can give thanks for all things. So what I'm describing to you, maybe it sounds ethereal to you, but it is the normal Christian life. You have within you the Spirit of God. He is a river flowing unto life. The very same spirit that not only lived in Jesus when he was alive, but raised him up from the dead lives in you. Right now, right here. 
It was promised in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You see the connection? I'll put my spirit in you and you'll obey out of that. And then the fulfillment according to Paul is this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. If you haven't heard anything else I've said today, hear this from God. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised up Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. You are Filled with the Spirit. So here's my thought. The infilling of the Spirit has one purpose, and that's overflow. I have to ask myself all the time when I get bumped, what do people get sloshed with? Because if I'm full, it ought to be Him. How are we filled with the Spirit? There's no other way but surrender. I wish it was easier. I wish, I wish I could tell you five steps to be filled with the Spirit. But the reality is, the only way to be filled with the Spirit is in surrender. That's what that prayer was about earlier in the service. Come, Holy Spirit. Because you know what Paul does? He gives us a passive command. Be filled with the Spirit. He doesn't say, fill yourself with the Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command that I can't accomplish. He's telling me to do something I can't do because be filled is passive. So what, how, what is the fulfillment of the command? Here's the thing to think about. The natural state of Holy Spirit is to flow. That's what he does. He's a river. He's, the pictures of it are replete throughout the Bible. He's a river. He flows. So for me, not to be filled with the Spirit means that I have to dam the river. There's two warnings that Paul gives, and this is where we'll stop, about Holy Spirit. First one is in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. The word quench is the word to extinguish, put out a fire. He says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. In other words, I cannot afford to be apathetic in my life toward the things God is passionate about. If I am apathetic toward what is His passion, I'm putting out the Spirit's fire. I'm damning the flow. The second warning is in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. It's exactly what you think the word means. Don't make him sad. Don't break his heart. It's actually the word that's used in the New Testament for when one spouse finds out another spouse has been unfaithful. He says, don't break the Spirit's heart. I know what that's like. I know what it is to do that. 
It's a terrible place to stand to know that you've broken Holy Spirit's heart. That's why I say being filled with the Spirit is a passive stance where we stand before him and say, come Holy Spirit. I want to be passionate about the things that stir your heart. I don't want to grieve you. I don't want the dove to fly away. What Holy Spirit does is he sacramentalizes our lives. Wally would know this well because this was very important in liturgical circles. A sacrament is a spiritual reality reflected in something physical. Baptism is a sacrament. It's the picture of death and resurrection in Jesus Christ. Marriage is a sacrament. Paul says, I speak to you concerning Christ and the church. Communion is a sacrament. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. And my friend, you are a sacrament. Because he said, my spirit lives in you. I beg you. Open your heart to see the normal Christian life as one through which God's life flows. Diana, I want you to come. We're going to receive communion together. If you do not have the cup, you didn't pick it up on the way and raise your hand, we'll get you one. I want us to celebrate the sacrament by recognizing that we are sacrament. We are his carriers of his spirit, conduits of his power, channels of his life. So we come to the communion table saying, God, as you made this sacrament, you made bread to be your body, wine to be your blood. Make us carriers of your presence. same way he took the cup after they'd supped and he said this is my blood of the new covenant drink all of it this is his blood for our lives receive the blood of Jesus Jesus we bow ourselves before you because we don't even know how to begin depth of surrender that you want so that we can be full all the time of your life and spirit. But we stand before you today in this house and we say, come Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts. If there's places that we are putting out your fire, if there are places that we have grieved your heart, we ask for you to Forgive us and cleanse us so that we might flow with the life of God. The never failing, never ending life of God through Holy Spirit. May the Spirit of Jesus Christ fill us to overflow. In His name we pray.